Data Stories is brought to you by Click, who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within data that lead to insights that ignite good ideas. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with ClickSense, which you can download for free at click.de slash data stories. That's qlik.de slash data stories. Hey everyone, Data Stories 48. Moritz here. Hey Enrico, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Yeah, very <laughs> good. By, by snow. Yeah, yeah. I, I I was about to ask you about the weather. Finally, I have a good reason to ask you. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. there's a big, there's yeah. blizmas, blizmas in New York, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. This didn't seem to happen. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know. The, I mean, the news were very bad yesterday, mm -hmm. but I, I don't know. It doesn't look like a big storm so far. And the kids are having lots of fun around here playing with the snow. So everybody so, takes our time off work and plays in the snow. Yeah, Nothing better. That was that. just perfect yesterday. I was supposed to, to teach at six, and NYU sent me a message saying uh, around noon or so, saying that after four p.m. everything is cancelled. So I just tried to have some fun with the kids. Nothing special. <laughs> well, actually, it's special. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, nothing special, just catching up with projects. And um, I mean, we just recorded the other episodes, so there's no big updates from me. Um, yeah. Yeah, but if you listen to that, you know what I'm up to. So yeah. I think we can we can dive right in. And today we have a really super special guest. And um, it came when I was just catching up on IO Talk. So I missed last year's IO. I don't know how that happened, but somehow it did. And so I had to catch up on Vimeo and I saw Eric Rodenbeck's talk and... The minute after I finished the talk, I wrote him an email to invite him <laughs> to Data Stories because it touched on so many things that are important to me and I've been thinking about. And it was a very personal, very just a great talk. Um, and so I thought we should have him on the show. And here he is. <laughs> hey, Eric. Hi, Eric. Welcome. Hello. Great, Great to have you. Here. It's Thank really you. fantastic. Um, I mean, you, Stamen has been on our list for a long time. We had Mike Migurski, so it was sort of halfway covered. But uh, of course, now with Eric, we have the real deal and it can sort of follow up on the second half. Um, and all of our listeners, you should now, if you have the chance now, if you're not on the bus or somewhere, um, ideally pause and go to the Vimeo link <laughs> we put in the blog post and first watch the IO talk because... <laughs> I think we will just pick up <laughs> where you left <laughs> off at this point, and we will refer to many of the points there. And as I said, it's a it's a great overview of the last um, ten years of Stamen, or how long does Stamen exist yet, uh, uh, Eric? Uh, since two thousand and one. Oh, yeah, so, same. gosh, it's going to be fourteen years. Fourteen now. years. Soon. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I thought we only had maybe four or five years before. Google came in and the machines took over. Um, <laughs> turns out there was a lot more. Turns out there was a lot more to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were many really great issues you you touched on in your talk. And the the one that was really where I got the most curious, and also one that I keep pondering about and discussing with people, is this whole um, issue: if there is a market, or let's say the changing role of creating bespoke data visualizations, very creative 
crafty data visualizations. Because, of course, on the one hand, it's the business I'm in, so I have a strong personal interest. And I think there also something very interesting happened in that field over these last 15 years. And obviously, Stamen has been a huge part of that, uh, maybe even leading the, the whole development. And uh, so I think that's the first topic I would really like to like to discuss with you. Like, how do you see that? Is there, um, is there still a need for creating highly... Um, bespoke and crafty data visualizations or do you feel 95% of data visualization challenges maybe can be tackled now in in standard tools what, what what's your what's your take there yeah so on the one hand i think about it all the time and on the other hand i have no answers <laughs> um, only in the sense that that it's a, it's so close and personal that that i uh, that that i uh, it's almost like i can't see the whole field because i'm so um, uh, connected to it, but I, I mean, I think very clearly there is still a need for this. I, 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 uh, and, and when I say this, I mean the the creation of these of these custom experiences. I think that the, the way that I think about it um, on on a good day is is that um, you know this is if you think about data visualization as a technical exercise, primarily driven by code. Um, and there's clearly a lot less work than there mm -hmm. used to be just in the sense that, you know, Plotly and Tableau and all these companies and, and our friends at CardoDB make, uh, make the, the kind of basic kind of get your data visible, um, much easier or, you know, import.io is now doing things like having desktop based. And, and when you started out, there wasn't so, so even Google that, Maps, right? Let's keep that in mind. <laughs> the Google Maps is, like came only two thousand five. Yeah, and there, and yeah, this is this is all fairly recent stuff. And so, so I, I, you know, I think about it that that you know, just because there's a, there's a program called Photoshop doesn't mean that people don't need to take pictures anymore, <laughs> and doesn't mean that there isn't a need for you know highly custom, uh, highly custom work in this area. Now, you know, maybe if you're somebody who made a living designing blur filters like maybe you need to find something else to do but but i think that that the practice of data visualization is about more than the than the creation of of uh, of, a, of, a, of a suite of filters or or the creation of tools I, I think that if we think about visualization and mapping as a as a creative field and as a communications field and as a as a field that has to do with the kind of um communication of information not just kind of in a in a neutral sense but in a in a kind of active open sense, then it seems clear to me that there's a whole lot more to do. I, I tend to agree, absolutely. But at the same time, I feel like maybe the whole market is is changing and maybe our roles are also changing more. As you say, from in the beginning, it was even hard to get anything on a map or to do something that's not a line chart yeah. or a bar chart. And well, much, le yeah. much, much, much less to get hired for it, right? I mean, you have to explain to people what this stuff is. Right, right. And in the beginning, uh, I mean, I, I, I vividly recall the Dig Labs visualizations because they were sort of, for me, the first time I saw something really unusual from a, from a big company, let's say, and not, not just from an art school or so. Or so. Um, yep. what, was it there that, the, how did that, these projects develop? Did the clients come and say, like, we want something mind-blowing new? Or did they come and just say, let's see what you can come up with? And 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 how do clients uh, frame projects maybe today? Is is there a change or, or how did that develop? Yeah, so I don't want to sound like too much of an old guy, um, but it it was 
it was very much um, something that was in the mind of, of Kevin Rose when you're talking about mm-hmm. the Dig Labs mm-hmm. project. I mean, he was so excited about, uh, you know, having his, basically his finger on the live wire of what was happening on the internet. It was just such an amazing feeling to think that you could kind of in real time get a sense of, of what kind of news was, was breaking. Um, and, you know, it was really his vision to, to, um, to have a couple of visualizations that would really um, shine a light on what was going on because the front page was just, you know, much too quick for, uh, for anybody to pay attention to. Um, uh, you know, we tried to bring our own vision to that um, and to come up with our own take on that and then also our own um, kind of, uh, you know, Kevin, to his credit, was very open to experimentation. And so we came up with multiple other visualization types beyond the first two that he came to us with. So I really have to give him a lot Mm -hmm. of credit for having that vision and and believing in us. He was a real, real visionary. Um, But, you know, it's really a, I would say it's really a mixed bag as far as how um, people come to us for, for, for this work. I think that, uh, you know, 14 years is a long time. And, and if you look at the kinds of expectations that people have now around data visualizations, it's just total night and day from what it was mm-hmm. before. You know, I can remember going to the New York Times uh, and talking to them about mapping and data visualization, and they were really resistant <laughs> to it. They had this idea that people didn't understand how to zoom and pan and click on a, on a Google mm-hmm. map, you know, remember that? And And now they're just like, doing amazing work. I mean, you look at what Noah Veltman is doing over there. You look at what Mike Bostock is doing, you know, um, you know, this is, uh, and, and it's being done at the highest level, you know, in real time, you know, as part of a, as part of a newsmaking exercise. So, I mean, the, the, you used to have to explain to people what this was and now the, the, the field is basically just completely opened mm-hmm. up. Um, and so it's, there's a much higher level of sophistication when people are coming to us and asking for this work. It's not about, you know, can you get our data on the map? It's more about, can you communicate this thing that I'm having a hard time communicating using all the technology and design tools at your disposal, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is much more interesting. Yeah. Do you think there is a specific reason um, why and, this happened? Is it more, do you think this is due mostly by a technological transformation or, or, or what? Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's, the technology has gotten much, much easier, but also the, um, the kind of, uh, the set of expectations that people bring to it. The, 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 as, as my friend Ben Servan used to say, the, the literacy level around this has all gone up partially as a result of work that we've done and very much, um, because of work that, you know, the people like you are doing, um, you know, the people like Ben Fry are doing, Casey Reese. I mean, all these, all these, all these practitioners have been kind of banging this drum of making data visible. Uh, and so the market is just more sophisticated than it used to be. Yeah, I think, and, and this this development is still going on, right? I mean, and if you think back five years or three years even, um, as you say, what people expect from data visualization, but also what they know already and what we can all build upon as a pattern or as an established like cultural thing, <laughs> like um, narr- narrative techniques, or as you say, map UI, like we can presuppose that now and do something with it and uh, a few years ago you had to explain it and experiment yeah yeah and so this is in some ways what i was trying to get at in 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 the talk that i gave was was that you know what do you do when suddenly the thing that used to be your own special little secret sauce um that only you and a few other people knew how to do becomes you know something very Mm -hmm. widespread um 
do you pack up and go home? Do you find something else to do? Or, you know, what else, what else is there? Um, and I think this is a, a really kind of good moment for, for us as practitioners in this field to really kind of step back and take a look at what we're actually trying to make happen because it's, it's not just about poking a stick in the eye of the establishment. It's not just about something that no one has ever seen before. It's about generating and maintaining real value through this work um, and, and becoming a, a kind of vital part of a, of a conversation about what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, you know, just very different. It's just, it's just very different from, from, uh, you know, uncovering a shiny new thing for the first time and holding it up. And, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of freedom and latitude in doing it for the mm-hmm. first time, the doing it for the third and fourth time and doing it well and demonstrating mastery. And, and is, is, I think just a different proposition. Again, it's much more long-term and slow and often invisible process, right? So it's, of course, much easier to impress somebody with a one-minute video of this beautiful thing. (laughs) But often it's much harder to explain um, why a a um, year-long dialogue with a client, you know, was was interesting or worthwhile. So do you feel this um so, so it's is, do you feel it's getting harder to do sexy uh, types of projects or sexy work in that sense like something that everybody finds immediately um compelling I I think um I'll come back to my to my friend Ben here he um he talked about thinking about what we do and and when I say we I refer I mean you and and, and we also less as designing software and more about designing fashion, um, mm-hmm. uh, kind of situating this work less, less as a kind of like, you know, I make this tool, then I make this tool, then I'm finished and more about, um, engaging in a practice of kind of making new things within, within a culture that's, that's moving forward. So you kind of situate it both in a kind of technical context and in a creative context, but then also in a cultural context, certain things resonate at different times. Um, you know, less, it's less about a kind of quantifiable, this is what's next from a development perspective. And it's more about a, a kind of cultural, this is what's next from a, from a kind of societal perspective. And, and, and I'll just say, I'm going to say this a bunch. I think it's a much more interesting time now than it was then. There's just so much more to do. So while watching your, your talk, I was always thinking about, is it going mainstream a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> and I think going mainstream, I mean, we should celebrate that, right? I mean, we've been doing this this thing for for quite many years now, and the fact that it's going mainstream is probably the fact that, due to the fact that it's very successful. But at the same time, I think my opinion is that if it goes, if something goes mainstream, it doesn't mean that many more good things are going to happen, right? I mean, probably there would be a lot of new ideas, new transformations. So probably it's going to be very exciting anyway. I'm curious to hear what what's your take on that thinking about it a lot, not just in terms of data visualization, but also in terms of what's happening to cities. Uh, I don't know if it's happening in, in Europe so much, but it, I know that in the United States, we've, we've reached this point where, <laughs> where cities are going mainstream, <laughs> where, you know, like they, they, they used to be these kind of edgy places where you move to as a young person uh-huh. and you help develop something yeah. or you move to as an yeah. artist. And now all the people are here and um, it's getting kind of weird for, for those of us who have kind of been on the kind of developing edge of cities for a while. I'm kind of looking around at, at a lot of these, uh, you know, places that I used to think of as kind of hip and edgy and they're, they're just kind of not anymore. Um, there's something else. And I, and I'm not willing to, to just simply say, 
you know, cities are over or, you know, like I, 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 I which no one is saying the cities are over, but, but I, I guess I, I just, what I'm, what I'm finding in, in the world to be quite interesting as a, as a kind of zone of discovery is just what happens when, like really what happens when these edgy things become, become well mm-hmm. settled. What is, what is the opportunity there? It might be because I'm, I'm getting older <laughs> and I have a kid and I'm less interested in kind of moving to the next new hip neighborhood, but I'm just really starting to think about kind of putting down roots and thinking about kind of having a way of, of, of working that, that works in the long term. I think this yeah. gentrification perspective is a really good one. I have never seen it like this, but I, probably it's true that, yeah, like everything fresh and hip and totally edgy and cutting edge, you know, at some point needs to settle down and, and then it's becoming interesting. Like, does it just become a watered down version of the original or is it actually like a transformation into something just more solid, more sustainable, more, more reasonable really. And, and maybe more, more grown up as you say, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. I hope, I hope it's, I hope it's the latter, not the former, but you know, uh, my kid is going to be 18 at some point and he'll tell me, um, <laughs> I mean, something else that's, that's sort of useful. And I've, I've used this as a rhetorical device in other, in other, in other conversations is, you know, when we're talking about data visualization, you know, as, as a field that's changing, like to go back to some other fields of, of, of endeavor, both creative and technical, and, and just put the word, take the, take the, take the word, say, photography out and put data visualization in, yeah. right? Because, or, you know, to think about painting, like just, just to really, and not, not just to slavishly kind of repeat the past, but just to kind of put ourselves in the position of, you know, people who are at the moment of a transformation of a medium. And you can, If you look back over the history of technology and the, the, the philosophy of technology, you can see these things kind of repeat themselves, right? So people used to have, I mean, they literally used to say the same things about data visualization or rather about photography than we're saying about data visualization. And you used to have these big arguments about whether it was okay to move a branch, you know, because you, photography was about supposedly capturing what was actually real. Um, and these kind, so I think it's, it's actually quite, uh, it's, it's worth going back and looking at the history of, of, um, of kind of art criticism because photography just kind of dropped down in that like a bomb, right? And, and we're, we're sort of seeing a similar moment in, in, in mapping where the, the kind of the things that, you know, it's so funny, you, you read these blogs by these supposed professional photog- or, uh, cartographers um, and they're, they're really concerned about the kind of dumbing down of their mm-hmm. craft um, <laughs> and, and very concerned that, you know, people don't have the the proper focus and that they're really, you know, they haven't been trained in the way that color and form need to work together in order to communicate the most optimal message. And you look at the work that they're doing and it's like, I mean, I don't want to just like start being mean to people, but I mean, it's, you know, it's the most boring thing you can think <laughs> about. Right. And so on the, and, 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 and yes, it's, yes, it's true that everybody's like 10 things you can learn from this map on Buzzfeed, you know, and that's kind of crap. But, uh, I don't know. I would prefer, I, I prefer living in the Buzzfeed world where there's just so much more volume and so much more action than in this kind of rarefied work only being done by mm-hmm. professional Eyebrow, um, um, stuff. You know? yeah. 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 It also reminded me, I don't know if you mentioned that, but there's this great text from Michael Neymark on first word art, last word art. I, I can't recall if we ever discussed it on the podcast, but I have it from Golan Levin and he passed it around a few times and I think it, it matches often so well. And the text just briefly sketches that or sort of posits that there's two great ways to do a great artwork and the first one is to do something for the first time really well <laughs> and like break that ground and do something radically new and then there's this other way where you take something existing and try to sort of 
build on all the, the culture and yeah and do the definite symphony or write the definite crime story right so take something that's existing and um, and well established and then work within that rich context and that it's yeah both types are super interesting to work with um, and maybe we're just right in between like the first word art has has been done in many ways I guess um, in data visualization now. <laughs> we need to maybe uh, work on how to how to take it to the next level, really. Well, and then you start to talk about like genre, yeah. right? Like like as a as a uh, you know when you start to think about like a crime novel right. or you know even a novel as a as a, as a, as a genre. There's a there's a great book by Michael Chabon um, called Maps and Legends, and and he he talks a lot about the kind of the use of maps and comic books and all these kind of like popular forms of, of writing as a way of, of, of exciting people and of getting people just excited about, about the material that you're, that you're working in. And you sort of, you get to a place with a lot of these things where it's not necessarily about inventing new forms, but, but really inhabiting the ones that exist and you start to be able to play them off each other. You start to be able to make inside jokes. Mm -hmm, you start to mm -hmm. be able to make, uh, you know, kind of progress over time. I mean, there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole way of, of thinking about literature that I think if we were to start to think about, If we started to to hold, if we started to hold our data visualizations to the same standard as we held our comic books, I think we would really have some some, some wonderful some yeah, wonderful work. And and just yeah. you know, I mean, and and my, my wife has talked about this. Like, how do we maybe we do pop up books of data visualization? You can't, you guys can't steal that idea. But that's, that's something I want to do at some point is to do a pop up that book. That's pretty nice. You know, and you get like Minard, and you get like you get like Aaron Koblen's flight pattern. You, you know, that happens as you like open and close the pages yeah. of a book. Dig labs like in a in a in a it's pop brilliant. Up. You need to do it. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Uh, thanks, man. Yeah, but the 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 genres is a really really good idea, and I I think there's even a talk by Martin Wartenberg, Fernando Viegas. I, I somehow recall they had something on what if this visualization is the crime story and this is the horror story and this is the love story, right? And um, what what oh, yeah what if you build on that and sort of work with these existing um, genres yeah it's really nice yeah so that's a great time to take a minute and talk about our sponsor click imagine an analytics tool so intuitive anyone in your company could easily create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards to find meaningful insights well that's clicksense Click itself, the company was founded in 1993 in Sweden, so they've been around for a while. They are now headquartered in Pennsylvania after going public at the Nasdaq. Uh, their newest product, ClickSense, was launched in July 2014 and pairs Click's market-proven data indexing engine with the ability to drag and drop visualizations into your dashboard. Above all, ClickSense is intuitive. It lets you rapidly create visualizations, explore data deeply, reveal connections instantly, and see opportunity from every angle. It's highly interactive and very fluid uh, to explore data. ClickSense's data storytelling functionality is noteworthy as well. It makes it easy to share analysis with colleagues and collaborate more effectively. Um, also, if you ever lost your place culling the data, Uh, ClickSense also now features a smart search function that queries the entire dataset for the values you misplaced. Most importantly, ClickSense isn't limited to just the desktop. You can access your analytics on the go or on a tablet and a smartphone and find your insights literally everywhere in real time. So thanks so much to Click for supporting us and now back to the show. How about the like the practical side? That's also something I was really interested in. What I keep discussing and also keep figuring out for me, 
what's the best like way to build data visualization? What's the best team size? What's the best methodology? Is there something? Is it different to build data visualizations process-wise than doing media projects in general? Um, any, any advice there for anybody getting started? Or what's your experience now over all these years of, uh, of doing projects? Um, what are the things that worked from an organization point of view? What didn't work? I'm super curious uh, to hear all that. So there's a lot of talk about agile software development practices, and, and I think all that's super important, and, and iterative development and, and kind of um, scrums and, and, and all that kind of thing. I, I, I think that that's, um, that's good. Um, I, I guess I would say, in my experience, I've found that if you try and rely on a process um, where, whether it's rigid or not, but it's, it's sort of defined, um, you wind up always pointing back to the process and there's a sort of attempt to kind of take the people out of the, out of the, out of the equation. And I've just never found that to work. Um, I, I think that, that if you, if you can find the right project manager, um, for example, you can, you can be head and shoulders above where you were before. And it's partially it's because they have processes, but it's also because they're willing to kind of step up and, 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 um, and figure out what needs to be figured out. There's a kind of, uh, a kind of spirit of being able to, to, to kind of make it happen no matter what. Um, and, and so when, when I, when I think about the kind of people that, that are, that are required to, to do this work and, and do it well, I think about more people who are kind of friendly and, <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and engaged with, with each other, committed to the craft certainly, but, um, but committed to each other as well. And so that just as a, a part of what I've been thinking about is, is kind of how to have a studio that, 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 continues to run a studio that um, continues to be supportive um, and not just a kind of flash in the pan, you know, jump in with both feet and then, and then move on kind of, kind of place. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's just that we've, I've, I've talked about it with, with a number of different people that kind of, you know, is it, is it important to have a kind of way of working that's kind of systematized and uh, where you can kind of drop people in and out. And I, I just don't feel like that's a good way to do creative work. And I also just don't feel like it's a good way to do, um, uh, you know, kind of work that, that's, that's got staying power. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, I think there's some character to statement projects or probably I, I could imagine there's also some repeating like patterns in the processes that sort of ensure that the outcome is actually is sound and, and you know, is, is also interesting and so on. So uh, how do you do it? Do you, like, when you have new team members sit down and show them past projects and tell them how you did them? Or will you coach them um, in the first few projects they do? Or do you just say, um, you're cool and you're a cool tool, <laughs> the two of you work together and keep me updated? Or <laughs> how do you uh, usually approach this? This challenge of, I mean, you never know um, how people, if you don't give them a process, how they will actually um, approach the project, right? I suppose it's a character flaw of mine is that I'm, I'm, I'm much more interested in, um, in a lot of times in, in, in other people's ideas and responding to their ideas rather than coming in and saying, it absolutely has to be done in this way. Um, that, can, that can cause... Problems and strife, but I guess I've just always found, it, <laughs> always found it more interesting. And it's part of how I've gotten involved in data visualization. I feel like the, the world and the data in it is much more interesting than any sort of, uh, uh, you know, kind of preconceived notions that I've had of it. I'm, 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 I'm in, a, in a process of responding and, and molding much more than I am in sort of determining from the beginning. Um, 
you know, having said that, the work needs to get done. And so my, my project managers and design directors will have a very different, very different sense of this. They've got a, they're in the business of kind of teasing out what that process should be um, and how it ought to be, how it ought to be applied. I'm aware this is somewhat un, unorthodox, and I, and I, I would, the, the, when I start to think about um, the process of, of doing this work, I think much more about things like embracing early uncertainty um, uh, and experimenting and encouraging play. I mean, those are those are kind of those are not um, things that you get to do at Stamen. Those are things that you mm -hmm. have to do. Um, mm -hmm, you know, that's mm -hmm. that's a big part of part of the work. And 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 really, the the way that I've, you know, when when we first started doing this, I thought. Uh, you know, I wanted to combine experimental work and commercial work together. You know, I, I wanted to be like Santiago Calatrava or one of these like big shot architects that kind of do experimental work. And, and what I've found is that in this practice, the, the, the process of, uh, of open source software development and open data have been a really kind of fertile bridge and a, a between these two. And then also a way to develop best practices for doing creative data visualization. I mean, just in a sense, you know, on the most basic level from, you know, being able to share IP with your employees, um, but then also just the kind of, um, the, the, the kind of level of, of, of commitment that encourages new things and the kind of, uh, the kind of way of, of way of working, uh, you know, that's, that's both experimental and, um, and yet has to work, um, is, is a kind of vital part of the process that's going on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's tricky. It's it's yeah, it's super challenging. And I mean, personally, for me, I never felt I can scale my process over a team of more than two or three people. Actually, so and I felt anytime more people were actually like deeply involved with the project, like things are getting complicated and are in in, in trouble. And um, how, just out of curiosity, how, how large are the teams in Stamen? Do you also have sometimes projects where you have seven people or ten in one project, or is it always small, uh, very agile teams? Uh, it's it's mostly fairly small, you know, three, four. Um, you know, the thing I like to say about Stamen is that if any one of us can do it on their own, it's not really a Stamen uh -huh. project. Interesting. Um, you know, I, 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 very, I, want, I want all of us to be learning from each other and, and surprising mm -hmm. each other. Um, uh, and there's stuff that, you know, the back end people can do that the front end people can't. And there's stuff that the designers can do that the technologists can't. And, you know, we, we, we're all in a, in a situation of always learning from one another. We, we're working on a project right now for the University of Richmond. That's the, one of the larger projects that we've done. And that's, that's got more than, that's got a, a larger team on it. Um, and that's, you know, it, it is a challenge to, to be in a place where the code is not just all in your hands or, um, where the, where the design needs to be handed back and forth a bunch of time. But I, but I, I'm very much of the mind that, um, that collaboration and learning is better than kind of, at least in, in this context is better than kind of lone wolf, um, kind of individual authorship. Yeah, and I mean, end of the day, not yeah, or many of the the big and also worthwhile projects cannot be done by two or three people just hacking something together. <laughs> I think that's also something it's, which is just a, a reality. And uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, and if you're going to be, you know, if you're doing a project about climate change, you know, and this it needs to be factually accurate, and you need to design and build a map of the entire western seaboard, you know, that's not that's not something that gets done you know, at night and on the weekends because someone's feeling creative, right? It's something that gets done during the day with people 
gets communicated about is um, you know is 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 uh, goes through revisions, you know, all those mm-hmm. kinds of things. It's, uh, uh, you know, and I, I like that. I like I like having I like having things that are that are kind of subject to scrutiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Eric, I wanted to ask you since you introduced the you just mentioned the climate change uh, project. I was really impressed by the part where you said. I think it's toward the end of your talk. You say, "Why I'm still here, right?" And I'm really curious to hear. I mean, <laughs> I mean seriously, because I mean, I think this is probably one of the most interesting parts for me because I think it's so easy to just um, I don't know lose your vision on the day-to-day kind of activities that we all have, right? I mean, I go to work every single day. I come back home. I have a family. So. But from time to time, I like to stop and think about why am I exactly doing that? And even more, I mean, is there a way I can have some sort of impact on the world with what I'm doing? So I'm I'm really curious to hear from you what's your take on that. Because, I mean, from from what you said in the talk, it looks to me that you you have some ideas about that, right? I mean, you must have at least one answer on why you are still there, right? And I think that's really, really important because this goes very well beyond any problems with, uh, I mean, any technicalities, learning this or that, being cool or whatever, right? He's trying to have a real impact. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the one that springs most to mind is, is this climate work. Um, uh, there is an urgency that I feel and that, that scientists have felt for a long time that, I mean, this, this climate change that is, that is occurring is, is, is gigantic and is too, um, too abstract a lot of times to be understood. And the people that have the best understanding of it are often the people that aren't necessarily the, the best communicators about it, you know, because they've got their arms around all the facts. And, and I think that there's, a, there's an urgency that I feel around, you know, conservation, around climate change. Um, uh, around communicating what's going on on the planet, um, that keeps me up at night, and it and it it's 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 really important and urgent that we do stuff about this now. And 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 it's not it's not enough to leave it to the scientists. It's not enough to leave it to the politicians. You know, it's it's there's a there's a there has to be a kind of groundswell of understanding about what's going on, and then also you know what to do. Um, and so that's you know something I'm super motivated by. Um, to try and affect some change here. I, I think this, this whole issue of cities and how to live in them is also something that's, you know, one of the, the kind of dominant, um, if not the dominant issues of our time. I mean, when I talk with my, my partner, John Christensen, about this, he, we have this, we both have this sense that, and, and you know, the, the numbers, the numbers are, are, are showing that, you know, the, the world is going to, everybody's going to move to cities. You know, there's going to be about 9 billion people in the world. Everything is going to get super dense. And then it's kind of going to stay that way, right? I mean, barring kind of catastrophic stuff, that the, the world's population is going to max out at wherever it's going to max out, and then we're going to have to need to figure out how to live that way. Um, and, and so it's really important that we have, um, you know, dialogue around cities that's informed by data, that's not just about the kind of, you know, connected city, smart city, you know, everybody's got sensors and all the walls kind of conversation, uh, to have a, a kind of robust conversation about what, um, how we want cities to be and, and how we want to use maps and, and, and visuals to communicate about those kinds of things. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking much less about, you know, um, 
uh, any particular, you know, new software contribution or, or any new particular kind of design innovation that I'm starting to just really think about kind of what's a way to, 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 to make this, these processes more human and to make the communication about them, um, you know, uh, more human, more literate, um, better informed. Yeah. So you just mentioned climate change. So do you think there are some other areas that might actually be crucial for data visualization for having an impact in the world? Well, uh, you know, uh, I think that, you know, when this, when this stuff works really well, it takes something that is, you know, hidden or invisible or complex or difficult and, um, and makes it extremely clear. I mean, I'm thinking about um, the work that my friend Wes Grubbs did um, at Pitch Interactive where they mapped out, it was a visualization of all the drone strikes that the U.S. Uh, and our allies have been carrying out um, in Afghanistan and Pakistan. And it's just this incredibly impactful, gentle pounding over the head of, 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 of what's going on over there, right? And it, and it really kind of... Um, it, it really kind of brings to light something that that you had never really thought about, um, or that that not, maybe not not uh, not necessarily never thought about, but more um, it, it brings it brings to the fore and it makes clear and it makes visible something that was previously behind locked doors. There's there's a pro, there's a project um, that James Bridle has put together. I think it's Drone Instagram. Mm-hmm. He he finds the locations of all of the drone strikes and then he publishes satellite imagery of the places where those things have happened you know these kind of <laughs> these these kind of these kind of very uh i don't even want to call them subtle but they're very sort of direct um direct reminders uh, through visuals of, of of what's happening in the world and, and i don't mean to be overtly political about that I, I think the issue of drones is a quite complicated one um but uh and there's a lot of things to talk about there so but but i, I just feel like there's a there's a if you can find something that hasn't been that you care about that hasn't been that hasn't been adequately mapped that hasn't been um, adequately uh, you know kind of brought to light I think it's 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 really worth it's really worth grabbing onto with both hands we're we're doing a project right now about um, slavery in the American South and and the the kind of the, the maps and visualizations that are that are coming out of that will just they'll just chill your soul you know to to think about how many people were forcibly kind of taken from their families and moved around. I, I feel like these, these kinds of issues, a lot of times, you know, there, there's, you can read about them and that's one thing and you can be told about them and that's another, but if you can be shown, uh, if you can be shown them in a way that kind of short circuits your, 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 your brain and kind of makes a real impact. I mean, that's, that's really the, that's the yeah. goal. That, that's, that's the reason to get up yeah. in the morning. And I think ultimately this is also connected to how people consume this kind of information. So I'm, I'm just curious to hear, do you actually, so when you publish a project on the web, do you have any specific method through which you, you know exactly how people use your information? Um, we don't do a whole lot of tracking. I mean, a little bit here with Google and, 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 and that kind of thing. Uh, what, we, what we've done... Uh, we you know we make sure that 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 it goes onto onto Twitter and those kinds of things and I and I watch that quite quite carefully, um, you know the the there's a there's a there's an energy from having this work out in the in the in the world that um, and having it you know on the internet especially with you know hash um, 
with hash URLs and things so you can really tell, you know, where people are looking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not just they look at the project, but they're looking at Afghanistan or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, really the, 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 the work there is to put as many kind of hooks into it as you possibly can so that people can kind of refer to it um, in whatever way mm-hmm. they need to. So do you have any success story of people doing something special, taking action after uh, using your, your applications? You know, I, I should have a much better answer to this question. Um, well, you know, I think I remember done, for instance, the one things. about I mean, crime, when, right? You had a crime one. Yeah, there was that was that was one that we had heard some really good things about. It was, it was when we when we did the crime spotting project. You know, the formerly people were showing up to these police meetings. <coughs> excuse me, showing up to these police meetings, and the police were showing them kind of badly photocopied maps and charts about what was happening in the neighborhood. And, and after we, um, after we made the crime data public, um, we heard that people were going to these meetings with their own yeah. maps, um, and their own data and asking questions about, um, you know, why there was a rash of burglaries mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. Solano Avenue and, and those kinds of things. Um, you know, that's, that's one that's like kind of impactful in people's brains. I think that the, 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 the more kind of general issues around climate, um, you know, for the, for the Audubon, project where we map the changing um, ranges of birds, uh, you know, the, the anecdotal, it, under circumstances of climate change, the anecdotal evidence there was, was kind of similar that people, you know, really, when you, when you say, you mean, there's not going to be any more owls in this forest, or, you know, we might actually lose the, the loons in, um, in Minnesota, those kinds of things are, are also pretty impactful. You know, if you can show people, it's like, this is happening at your house. Um, again, it makes it a little bit sort of, Uh, more, if you can, if you can make these issues personal, you can start to have um, more of an impact. Yeah, but I think that's a really interesting point, and it's something. I mean, we are all aware now. Okay, we need to make individual views and in the application shareable, and like build smart uh, mechanisms for for actually annotating maybe the data or sharing yeah specific views. And but I think there's not enough culture yet to actually. Um, and show that this is happening afterwards, or uh, as you say, understand how it's happening in detail. And I think what, part of the problem is, as an agency or for me as an individual, it's just not feasible to to follow up on projects like years afterwards, right? And and sort of help train people to use it right, or sort of do workshops with the tools you develop. You know, you would actually have to keep being part of that conversation. And the client often is probably also not capable, or it depends highly on yeah which types of people you have there. If they if they are like in the position to do that, even. Um, and I think for years now we've been debating that, but it's I'm not sure if it's happening the right way yet. I mean, we we sponsor a uh, an educational initiative called mm-hmm. MapTime, um, and and that's that's something that we've. If there's sort of been a, a change in how we've been operating in the last couple of years, it's very much been about this, that it's it's less about kind of demonstrating virtuosity to a small circle of, of initiates and, and more about kind of inviting the broader public mm-hmm. into this work. So Beth and, Beth and Alan started this chapter and, and, uh, and, and, and Lizzie at, at, uh, uh, at CFA um, uh, started this chapter where they basically invited people to do very basic map making work and it's um, 
expanded now on a volunteer basis. There's, I think there's 40 chapters on four continents where people get together mm -hmm. once a week or every two weeks and learn about the kind of basic mapping framework. And, you know, for us, that's been, you know, I've, uh, that's been a core of, of what I've been interested in with, at the shop since we started was kind of making this stuff much more available to, to regular people and being part of a very mainstream conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the, the, what's, what started to happen is that for certain kinds of clients who are interested in education, um, the fact that we're, you know, going out and fundraising and, 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 uh, and, and supporting these educational initiatives has been kind of a, a selling point almost for us. I mean, that we, that we, it's not just about the work, but it's also about having enough of a infrastructure and enough of a kind of capacity to be able to teach other people about it. Um, and I'm really interested in that in that way of working. So it's not just about doing something and then releasing it and then walking away to something else, but it's about kind of developing these longer term relationships and having you know relationships with universities and being able to go out and teach people about this kind of stuff and, and really be embedded in the conversation in, in the long term. So uh, I, I think there's ways to do it. It's it's hard and it's it's not always clear what the mm -hmm. path is, and especially the path about how to pay for it is is one that I'm actively working on right now. <laughs> Um, but I'm glad to know that you're thinking about this as well. I mean, are, are you, it sounds like you're saying it's, it's a, it's an active topic of conversation among you guys. Yeah, I feel so. And I feel we, we need to take the next leap there because everybody, it's a bit like climate change. Like everybody's aware it's there, it should be tackled, but you know, it, it needs to take, it, it requires a change of habits and a change of behavior simply, you know, also for us, uh, like how we, how we approach these projects. And I, I was reminded of that when I read this text by Deb Chakra on, on making, and she has this great text on the Atlantic, why she has trouble identifying with the maker scene. I think it's specific now, this argument to the maker scene, but can also be generalized that there's maybe has been over the last years or so maybe a bit of an obsession with people who make stuff and produce stuff that is cool and fancy and awesome and not enough like work that's being valued that actually builds um, competence or creates communities or, you know, all the, the, the people side of things, let's say. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this now, the sort of, you know, walk through a museum, look around yeah, the city. Yeah. Almost all the artifacts that we value as a society were made by or at the order mm -hmm. of men. But behind every one is an invisible infrastructure of labor, right. primarily caregiving in its various aspects that is mostly performed by women. I mean, this is, this is huge, you know, and I'm, I, I think that that's, you know, there is this kind of maker culture, which, which is great and wonderful. I think there's also a kind of pizza and beer mentality <laughs> to a lot of this kind of work where, you know, you have a, you know, you show up in yeah. your hoodie and you've, you're of a certain class and you're able yeah. to, you know, you're able to spend the time, you know, hacking right. on stuff and then you get rewarded for your Save the world in a hackathon. I, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm just not, I mean, I'm interested in that. Sure. But I, and I think it's great, but I, I'm so like, for example, we've, we've done work with the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art and, and they're um, uh, about, about working with their API um, and they were much less interested in a kind of like, let's go to some tech office and invite a bunch of dudes to show up with and, and provide them mm -hmm. pizza and beer after hours. And more in reaching out to their, um, reaching out to their community and getting involved in the kind of curation process, um, discussing these things together, you know, turning it into a much more kind of collaborative, let's see what we can figure out together rather than a kind of, you know, lone wolf, um, 
kind of, you know, see what you can hack up, you know, break things and move quickly kind of thing. And I, and I think that that's, we're having something similar with with the Berkeley, uh, the School of Informatics. They've they've got a whole ton of data, and they're they're really interested in finding ways to to kind of both make their data more available, but also kind of give people a sense of what's possible with it. And I just feel like this this whole this whole idea of um, of kind of nurturing and gardening rather than just kind of coming in and moving quickly and breaking things is is another aspect to data visualization and the kind of field and the culture that I want to I want to nurture. Do you think this is also the long-term trajectory for Stamen as a as a company as a whole, or do you think there will always be this mixture of like maybe making and community building? Probably it has always been a bit like that. Or do you see the weight shifting there? Um, what's your feeling? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what I can't speak to. What's happening in the world? I can speak to what my personal interests are, and I, I'm I'm at a place where I'm you know certainly interested in. Encouraging the making and in the, in the in the breaking, but 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 not not to the exclusion of the of the, the growing and the and the and, and the nurturing. I, I I'm really interested in, for example, gender parity mm -hmm. at Stamen, um, you know, and and, uh, and and this kind of this idea that that um, that it's not that it's not just about. I mean, you look at Silicon Valley and it's just disgusting, you know, like it's just like 90 men or whatever. It's just gross, um, and and so. Uh, And it's so clear, you know, and, and so I, I just feel like that's, um, anyway, that, that's, I'm, I'm very interested in the kind of, in the, in a, in a working model that encourages both sides of our mm -hmm. humanity or all sides of our humanity, I should say, not to be yeah, so yeah. heteronormative. I think the, the map time project is really interesting too. And, <laughs> and Enrico and I have also been talking about visual literacy and how to get more people to do the, the data part and, and be excited about data analysis and you know data science things like this yeah. what 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 do you think is the biggest um the the biggest gap we need to fill or what's the big the, the big obstacle i mean the tools seem to be there the people seem to be interested it's it's a sexy topic what do you think what what do we need It to sort of bridge <laughs> um well i think that not sure that there are obstacles so much as there are challenges now you know I, I, I think it's it's about engaging um, you know finding other people who have a sort of similar mindset and I think we're we're starting to find them you know in the foundation world we're starting to find them in the education world um, uh, so I think it's about being very intentional about about that about wanting to, to move the field in that direction um, one of the things that I've, I've learned is that you get the kind of work that you've already done mm -hmm. um, and that if you don't ask for something you won't get it and so so part of what I'm trying to do is, is to is to um, to be very public about this desire that we have at the studio to build um, you know a technological and creative practice that's more inclusive um, you know less about um, less about a kind of If I'm, if I may, a, a kind of bro culture of of uh, of, of of Silicon Valley, and, and more about um, uh, uh, more about a sustainable way of, of of doing business and being in the world. I'm very much interested in the educational part of this as well, and I think when when we talk about visual literacy, I think we implicitly mean the idea of teaching people how to create visualizations or deal with data. But I think there is also another aspect. How do we actually uh, expect people just to read this thing correctly? 
or just be able to to reason through mm. data. Draw the I right think conclusions what, and so on. Yeah, exactly. And mm. I, I don't know, my impression is that the more people will be uh, exposed to visualizations or anything that comes out of things like data journalism, the more they will realize that, I mean, they will be pretending more information about whatever is, is I don't know, thrown at them, right? I think we, we come from a very long time of journalism where people just take facts as they are, right? And probably, I don't know, in a bright future, people will be able to, first of all, I mean, they will be pretending more information, not just taking everything from granted. And uh, I don't know. I think that's that's an interesting trend. I hope it's true. <laughs> well, I mean, and if you think about it, again, I think this is why it's a good idea to switch out the word data visualization with, with other practices, yeah. right? Because... Because, because, for example, journalism now is in is in crisis, in the sense that that people don't believe that there's any one sort of single truth yeah, exactly. anymore, um, and and that there's a sort of willful willful kind of change in the facts, and or willful kind of obstruction of of the facts. And you look at what happens, you know, with, with climate change, where you know the facts simply don't matter, and the fact that we're you know, in some ways we are living in our bright future, right? Of like, everybody is literate, everybody can read, everybody has access to the internet. And, you know, in some ways it's a shambles because everything is just kind of fragmented and everybody's got their own reality. So so I want to be careful not to sort of make claims for data visualization that just because there's going to be, I just think we have to be really careful because we don't want to go down that same road of like, just because people are more visually literate doesn't mean the world gets any better. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think we, we sort of, especially when we were first as a, as a practice starting to, to get our legs under underneath us, and I, I mean the kind of whole field of data visualization, there was the sense that if you could just make the data clearer, yeah. then everything else would fall right, into right. place. And, and yeah. what that doesn't do is, is address power, is address you know politics, you know any of the kind of any of the kind of uh, real world messy problems. So so for me, you know the the, the issue is less um, you know how to make all the data much clearer, but how to kind of be um, how to use that newfound clarity, you know, in the world, with the world, in, yeah. engaged with the world, yeah. and the processes yeah. that happen in it to, to make to make yeah. good things happen. So, and I, I think that's actually worth it's worth being explicit yeah. about that because uh, we have we haven't as a field. Yeah. And one thing I'm I'm always wondering is also I remember in the early days of internet there was a lot of talking about uh, digital literacy or something like that. I think there might be actually there was a big divide, right? You can actually find large segments of the of the population that was illiterate, right? And I'm wondering if in the future we will have this problem with data literacy. We might actually see that some parts of the population are not literate enough, and there might actually be a big divide there. Fascinating. I mean, yeah, it's it's we gotta we gotta work yeah. on that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I had a similar discussion, I think, in the previous episode with Moritz, the idea of trying to teach something already to kids because they're probably ready to to, to learn a lot of these things, right? I don't know if you have any experience should, teaching these things like, to, like, to start kids, in school, right? right. Yeah, yeah, they should start in school, yeah. Absolutely. Ideally, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I have a, I have a three-year-old boy and um, I have a number of, of atlases for children <laughs> oh, yeah. in the house. Yeah. Um, and it's just you know when when he when he comes to me and says, "Papa, will you read a map?" <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Papa, can we look at maps together? Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. We should write something about how to teach this to kids. That would be really really great.
No, I know, man. It's just like, it's yeah, so it's cool. So cool. It's like it's, and, and why not? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we should wrap it up, right? Cool. Yeah. That was fantastic. Thanks yeah. so much, yeah. Eric. Thanks a lot. That okay. was a Thanks great you chat. Nice yeah. talking to you. Thank All you. Right. Bye. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye. Data Stories is brought to you by Click, who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within data that lead to insights that ignite good ideas. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with ClickSense, which you can download for free at www.click.de slash datastories. That's Q-L-I-K dot D-E slash datastories.